Hello and welcome to the Nomi Key Show. I'm Nomi Key Const. We are 26 days away from the last day of voting, aka election day. And this country is in crisis, right? The president and the Republican Party are flailing in office and also on their campaign. But are Biden and Harris actually stepping up to this moment? That's what I'm wondering today. You could feel Harris struggling last night, how all her training has left her unprepared for the scale of what is needed right now. She is from that generation of Democratic politicians raised on packaging and sound bites and triangulation. Candidates who make progressive sounding statements while the corporate cash pours in. Pence may be an aged out neo-Nazi Kendall, but he is no dope. The debate may have been more civil last night than last week's and had more substance, but for a Democratic campaign uh, that is pounding tr the Trump-Pence ticket in the polls. I couldn't actually tell because it was just about style. That's the difference. For that campaign, the Democratic campaign right now, that is literally annihilating the Trump-Pence ticket in every poll, every swing state poll, every national poll, I really didn't get that feeling last night. For instance, Pence baited Harris into a competition for who was less environmentally friendly. Her statements barely even made sense. We have an existential climate crisis, but no, 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 Mr. Pence, Joe Biden and I are not against fracking. And let me say that several more times and then brand it into a viral tweet. Are we selling those bumper stickers yet and the t-shirts yet? Give me a break. Come on. Forget shopping list politics. Stop worrying about offending donors. Think big, not small. This country is in crisis. There are only two issues in this campaign right now. Only two issues that will swing voters in the middle. Only two issues that will mobilize voters on the left. Only two issues that will bring disgusted Republicans across the divide. Those two issues are the pandemic and the economy. And every single time the flailing Republicans try a new line of attack, attack, throw stuff against the wall, Democrats everywhere should stay focused, in control, and remind the country that they're going to be the party that feels the country's pain. Remind the country that they understand that we the people, what we the people are facing, and that this administration exacerbated and caused it. This is not to say that climate and equity and justice are not important. Of course they are. Just that right now, the two subjects that will drive this vote in the next 26 days are the pandemic and the economy. And they're intersectional, of course, with all these other issues. Who is going to stop this Great Depression and this great pandemic? Trump gives every sign of not knowing what to do. So he is doing things that don't make much sense, even in his own self-interest. What narcissistic impulse caused him to pull the plug on a stimulus deal, which his own Federal Reserve chair says is needed right now? His refusal to debate from separate locations is particularly baffling, saying it's a waste of time. After all, he is the one who needs the debate to make a last-ditch try at changing the direction of this election, which is not going in his favor. His first attempt obviously blew up on him. But why wouldn't he want to take a second chance to throw Biden off? Frankly, Pence actually did a better job than his bo boss last night at unbalancing his debating partner, which was Trump's goal, remember? Harris, she opened well. 
making it crystal clear that Trump and Pence had presided over the biggest governmental failure in history, the pandemic. But then repeatedly, Vice President Pence baited Kamala Harris into unproductive arguments like fracking. Oh, I wish they were against fracking. I wish she was as left as Pence tried to paint her. I wish she supported our Green New Deal, not their other green sort of political deal. Anyways, none of that is actually today's challenge. Today's challenge is getting Trump out of the White House before he does something even worse than what he's already done. And electing sane people who will stop the pandemic and fix the economy with our help, which they need. Then we can fight about which new Green Deal to enact. We can fight about whether it's possible to support fracking and rejoin the Paris Climate Accord and do more to combat climate. As Harris said, a Biden administration would probably do. This is a radical moment. But Biden and Harris, as we know, are not radical leaders. They are small and transactional. When we need a big and non-negotiable positions on curbing the pandemic and fixing the economy. Even when they try to sympathize or discuss the economic crisis, it's a couple of canned lines. This is a seismic moment. And I fear that the Biden-Harris campaign are throwing out opportunities to exhibit their recognition of this great crisis. Harris should have used her podium last night to discuss several stories of specific people who have lost businesses, are living in their cars, are taking their children to McDonald's to get Wi-Fi so they can do their homework, who have had loved ones who have died of COVID, who've lost their jobs while suffering COVID. But she got swept away by the politics, by the show. I worry that both sides will now default to the tool each party trusts best television commercials for the Democrats and voter suppression for the Republicans. Biden and Harris, even with those polls right now, they need to go big or the fear is folks will stay home. Well, whether you are at home or watching on your laptop from a park bench or some other socially distanced setting, uh, we do have a great show today. We have Pam Keith joining us first. She's running to unseat Republican Representative Brian Mast in Florida's 18th Congressional District. This is one of those down-ballot races that I keep pointing to, a race that really matters. Whatever you think of the top of the ticket, this is what's going to make the change. Pam Keith is a progressive, and she would be the first black military veteran in Congress. And later, we have a great panel with Swing State, Pennsylvania Swing State Representative Rep. Rab, who is back, and Josh Fox uh, is going to be on to discuss that key issue of fracking and whether or not it was some sort of ploy to win over Pennsylvania or Ohio voters. I don't think so. I think, you know, it was a false move. But here, first off, let's just go through uh, what's at the top of my ticket, uh, top of my ticket, my feed. <laughs> Breaking news, growing numbers of people are in extreme poverty. Common Dreams reports on the World Bank's findings that by 2021, as many as 115 million people could return to extreme poverty, with up to 35 million people entering the category for the first time. Meanwhile, the reporting adds that the combined wealth of the world's billionaires has reached $10.2 trillion. 
Yes, these facts are bleak, but they remind us that the struggle for working class revolution has to be international in its focus. We have infinitely more in common with the working people of China, Iran, and Poland than we do, of course, with the billionaires of the United States. That is why reading books like the one that Vincent Brevins uh, wrote, and we had him on last week, The Jakarta Method, Make a Difference. Or Naomi Klein's Shock Doctrine. That's what drives these points home. And if you're interested to learn more about the global fight against the power of capital, we recommend starting there. More on Trump's health care because it just gets crazier. So we officially know how much Donald Trump's experimental health care would cost the average American. The New York Times ran the numbers, adding the costs of the COVID-19 test, the hospital trip, the stay and the medications. $100,000. Hmm. But don't worry, Trump didn't have to pay that money because he didn't put himself at the mercy of the privatized healthcare system. He decided to seek treatment at a government-funded hospital, meaning that his bill was footed by, footed by, of course, the taxpayers he supposedly cares so much about. And that wouldn't be a problem if the taxpayers themselves could access that care and if Trump himself had paid more than $750 in taxes. Oh, and of course, you could cut the cost by heading to the hospital by ambulance instead of Marine One. I, I'm losing my mind. Last night, Mike Pence used his debate time for many things other than discussing the crisis that threatened American survival today. And of course, Harris did not remind people over and over that that was something worth discussing as well. She got baited, but that's another topic. Uh, one of these things was not new to the Trump administration, blaming China and the WHO for the U.S. outbreak of coronavirus. NPR provided a fact check, reminding us that as early as January 5th, the WHO was sounding the alarm about the coronavirus and that China's move to share the genetic sequence of COVID-19 came right after. Trump's first acknowledgement of COVID-19 at that point wouldn't come for months. We can't let a racist president outsource the blame for his failure to respond to a public health crisis. The truth is clear. Profit motive, profit motive kept Trump from addressing COVID-19 and offending his big donors by placing people's interests, including his voters, over the interests of cor corporations. For that, Trump has nobody to hold responsible but himself. All right, guys, uh, up next, we are going to be talking to Pam Keith from Florida. She is running to unseat Republican Brian Mast. It's going to be a great interview. If you're not already in that chat, get in that chat. Make sure to click, to click like, smash that like. And if you're not already a subscriber, just ping that at the top. Ping that little subscribe button because then you'll know when we go live every day at 3 p.m. Uh, to 4 p.m. So make sure to do that. We'll be right back right after the break. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. I am very excited. It's it's taken too long, uh, but I've, I've heard so many wonderful things about our next guest. Pam Keith is running for Congress in Florida's 18th Congressional District. Uh, she's the Democratic nominee, and she is uh, a veteran. She served in the U.S. Navy as a JAG officer in the 90s, and she toured, you know, Bahrain, all over the country. Uh, she's making quite an impact in this race, proving what I think so many of us have been talking about for so long, which is progressives can win, progressives uh, can win in districts that the, the traditional establishment says we can't win in, and, uh, and, and we're just so happy to have you. Uh, Pam, thanks for joining. Thank you so much. I have watched your star rise. I saw <laughs> you 
office. I know you've taken um, a lot of incoming uh, fodder, but you you are so strong and you are such an important leader in the progressive uh, movement. And so it's just a total delight to be with you. Thank you so much. But this is about you. So <laughs> this is your moment. All right. So let's just start with the lay of the land. I mean, you've run for office before, and I think this is very important for folks to understand. It, it usually takes, the, the statistics say, it takes a woman three times to run and win. Uh, and it's hard because there are obstacles along the way when you run as a progressive, as a working person, and as a woman, as a woman of color. Every step of the way, there are obstacles, and they will just keep throwing them at you. Uh, what what in you uh, made you after after running before like this this is the I'm gonna do it this time and of course you know you you've got the nomination. I think you just have to ask yourself who you are right um, because that's more important than what you are and I think that to whom much is given much is required. You know, I spent this lifelong uh, journey developing skills and experience and knowledge and credentials and education. And I came to a, a crossroads in my life where I was just like, I, you know, I'm, I'm working for this big corporation. I'm making the money that I thought I would. And I'm dissatisfied. And I'm asking, why am I dissatisfied? And it comes to me like, this can't be it. This cannot be the entire meaning of my life. This cannot be the impression that I leave behind is that I made a lot of money and I, and I sort of solved a lot of corporate problems. And I just kind of had this, uh, you know, road to Damascus moment where it's like, look, you know, I want to advocate for the people. That's what I want to do. I'm an advocate. I'm a champion. I'm born that way. So I just want to put all of this to the benefit of the people. And so, you know, once I made that decision, you know, I was just all in and I would never be satisfied going back to, you know, the corporate life. I just could never do that. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to do this. And I didn't know anything about politics when I got started. I mean, let's be honest. I was a policy wonk like you. I wanted to see these systemic issues addressed. And so and I'm thinking like, ooh, I'm going to go run for office. But the problem is politics is really not about policy as much as we think it is. It's actually about power and patronage and access. That's really what it's about. And so it took a long time for me to just even understand how that works because there's a kind of patina that's put in front of you. People will smile at you. You go to the, the conventions and everybody tells you how great you are yeah. and how love you and how fabulous you are and how encouraging they are. But then when it actually comes to a contribution or an endorsement or anything that actually helps, you know, it's just MIA. And you're like, yes. <laughs> no, because you walk away thinking, oh, they like me. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And so you don't understand the game that way. Because I'm such a direct person. You know, something that I, you know, I don't I don't have subtlety like that. And so it took a long time for me to understand that there was a component of this game that I just sucked at. Right? Like if you put me on a stage. You mean the dishonest part? Well, I'm going I'm, I'm to say, say the nuanced part. Maybe we'll use that word. But I just suck at it. I mean, let's be honest. And, you know, you put me on a stage to, to fire up 5,000 people. I got you. You want to sit in a negotiation and hammer out a piece of legislation? I'm with you. You know, you want me to, to listen to someone and tell them about, you know, educate them about something that they need to understand about how our government or our country, our foreign policy works. I'm with you. But if you want me to be able to decipher what somebody's really telling you when they actually, when, when the words are, we think you're great, but what they're really saying is go screw yourself. Like, mm. those, that, that's the thing that I don't, you know, I have enough. So I actually brought, this time I did something different. I, ha I had somebody on the team who's really good at that component. And I don't know that I would be here, but for that member of my team. Now, there, there were also really, really strong members of the team 
in other areas too. I had a stronger general consultant. I had a stronger finance operation. And of course it was helpful that I was in COVID because you know I could just you know, hang out in my pajamas and do call time all day. But um, call time meaning the thing that candidates have to do to raise money, even on the progressive side, still have to do it. You yeah. have to do it. Doesn't mean you just don't. You're not calling the same people. No, Let's no. just say that. Yeah. But you know, and so, but really, that was the component that was always a failure for me, and that's the thing that's come around. But but even so, there's still a great deal of resistance in in, in believing in the viability of and in believing in the viability of, of African-American uh, women in particular, despite that our presidential nominee happens to be one, our vice presidential nominee has, happens to be one. But I, I just, you ask, you know, what makes me keep coming back? And that is that, um, you know, I feel like this is my purpose, right? What better purpose could you put your talent and experience mm. to than making life better for those who suffer? There's really only two components that people need to know about my character. Number one, I love fighting. I enjoy fighting. I'm pugilistic by nature. And I hear you. <laughs> right. And I'm deeply empathetic. That's good. I am absolutely enraged by other people's suffering. It, draw, it drives me bananas. So those two components kind of meet up and kind of where I am. I like to go to war with folks to do something to stop suffering. So I, there was this piece in the Washington Post, and Dorsey, if we have that, can we put it up on screen? They they profiled you, and it, it was it was it was really interesting. It was actually, I thought there were some things that were written in there um, that I like sort of the, the process that's never said out loud. Uh, the piece, um, Dorsey, were you able to find that clip? Yeah, we did. Great. So this this piece uh, came out, uh, you know, after you won the nomination um, in August. So it's mm-hmm. been you know, over a month since then. And there is a very famous political operative uh, friend named, named Steve Shale. He's mm-hmm. actually a big Biden supporter, always has been a big Biden supporter. And he was quoted in this piece. And uh, there was, I was actually really surprised because he said that when you ran the, I believe the first time for Congress, he urged you to kind of run for something more local because the way Florida is, it's not the way, that's the way every, everybody says this. Um, Florida is, is that, you know, they need to know you as like a local commissioner of something first. And this, I've heard this a million times, you know, people, I've heard it myself, other fo- women get it in particular, that you need to run for something a little bit more basic and build your way up. What really kind of blows me away about that argument is, that argument doesn't work for the centrists that they pluck out of obscurity or the John Ossoffs of the world. Uh, they're totally fine with with running these guys with like and building up some sort of imaginary uh, resume to justify their run when it's really just about money. And that's what it's yeah, about. Yeah, right? I mean, you know, it's it's the X's and O's of politics. And remember what I said, it's 90% patronage. It's about, and patronage can be uh, generated by money, right? Like you can buy, uh, you can get patronage by long-standing relationship, or you can get patronage by being able to offer something that somebody wants. And quite frankly, in the game of politics, most people want the resources to, to run campaigns, right? So, you know, the, the, the cost involved in running a congressional campaign is so daunting. It is so extraordinary that the folks that can, um, you know, either self-fund or have natural networks of high, high net worth, you know, it's just 30 times easier for them. And the party is not the reason they have this favor of people who come with so much money is because it makes it easier for the party too. It means yeah. that they can spend less money on this candidate and more money on that candidate. And the concept of a self-funder is just like, it's like a, Ooh, that just makes everything easier. Right. 
But, you know, and, you know, we have, and so what happens is that there starts to become the mingling, the concept of wealth and value, right? Like they're not exactly the same thing, but they start to get conflated in our politics. All I will say is that, you know, knowing that I, like if tomorrow I need to raise $200,000 for signs and staff and, you know, auto dialers and all of this other thing, the fact that I don't have to spend four hours on the phone or six hours or 10 hours on the phone trying to raise that money um, puts me ahead of the game. And that's exactly. why it played the way it is. Now, I will also say something that some other candidates will not admit, which is that we have a, a self-fulfilling ecosystem in our politics. We have pundits and consultants and talking heads who benefit financially from the system being the way it is. And so they're always triangulating to make sure that we don't change our paradigm because every cycle more and more money is raised and funneled into these entities and they've become this entrenched ecosystem but they've also become an impediment to change you said something also in this piece about the vortex and i you know, I'm on the board of Matriarch. Uh, we talk about that a lot on the show. And and one of the things that we talked about in the, the beginning of, of Matriarch was how women, you have to prove, and this is on the progressive side too. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of these endorsements, these big endorsements um, might bring in a lot of cash to these candidates in the last two months or the last month, but it's almost too late. And those endorsements are contingent on other endorsements, reaching other metrics, which are all contingent on how much money you can raise. And if you are a working class candidate, a woman, you got all these things that you have to prove along the way. And then the magic has to happen after you prove those things on the progressive side. So I love that you said Vortex, because I was like, that's it, that's the line. And it's very simple. You know, you're not going to get the endorsement until you raise money. You're not going to get the money until you get the endorsement. And so that becomes, this, like I said, this vortex of viability. And, and, and so it's very difficult to break through that. Now, every once in a while, you know, manna from heaven rains down or your, your opponent implodes or, you know, you, 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 you come up with a, with a model of viability like a Cori Bush or a Jamal Bowman that really, really focused on grassroots organizing. But that was the knock on me. I mean, the knock on me is that I am a vociferous advocate and I am a grassroots organizer. And so a lot of folks just don't like that model because they feel like that's not like team player. And it may not be, but I think we just have to understand if we are willing to have, uh, and I hear it so often, how much Democrats are willing to be bipartisan and open to our Republican brethren, our conservative brethren. And I just invite the party to also be as open and as embracing of our left-leaning and our progressive brethren, too. Like, I just feel like if we're going to be bipartisan, let's be tripartisan. How about that? <laughs> you know, because I think we have so much common ground we can build from. So I think that that's one of the things I find most delightful about this particular one is the degree to which I have been able to find um, co allegiance with such a variety of points on our political spectrum. Yes, I'm delighted to have the support of Senator Warren, Working Families Party. And, you know, back in 2018, I was a Justice Dan. Justice Dems are not playing in red to blues this season, but my platform hasn't changed since I was a Justice Dem. So, you know, I I, I consider myself a Justice Dem. They don't. Um, And, you know, but I've also been endorsed by Seth Moulton. And, yeah. and and some of the more right-leaning or more center, center right-leaning. Um, and I, and I base that on the fact that 
there, there's so much more that unites us than divides us. And I, and I say, and I've said once before, like a lot of the difference between the progressive movement and more the center movement, then we may want the same things, but I think there's a, the progressives have a shorter time frame in which to get from point A to point B. And to a certain extent, they're not as tolerant of the, well, the system is just like this, or it's just yeah. time, or, you know, it's just, they're just less tolerant. They're, 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 they're just less tolerant of that. Yeah. Um, and so I say, okay, look, if we all want everybody to have health care, you know, uh, we're at least on the same page. Those folks over there, they're trying to say, hey, you're on your own. So that's enemy. This is not enemy. That's enemy. Over here, we're, we're all about trying to get everybody health care. And if it is majority rule, then, then it's the job of those who are like-minded to build a majority. And sometimes right. building majority is coalition so it's a great um, segue into, you know, you're, you're running in Florida. Um, you're running in a, it includes West Palm, right? This point. Very small. Of West Palm. But it's mostly northern of West Palm. So. Okay. So, so it is like, it's this like very strange part of Southern Florida. That's a little bit more conservative, but very winnable, like red to blue, like you said. Um, also, of course, we can't bury the lead here. This is a presidential year and. Biden might be making some progress in Florida. So tell me, like, how is the how is having Biden on the ticket in a pandemic year um, running against Donald Trump, who doesn't you know, his residence is not too far away from your district. Five minutes from my district. Exactly. So how does how does that play into your race? Is it it plays a lot? It plays a lot because my district is known for for massive swings. Right. So between, you know, it went 20 points blue in 2014. It went 10 points red in 2016. Right. What? <laughs> it's not, these are not shifts in population, mind you. They're shifts in attitude and mood and just sort of. So this is one of the districts that is most responsive to what's going on politically, both within the state and within the country. And it has a fairly even distribution between Democrats, Republicans and non-party affiliates, although there's a smaller portion of non-party affiliates, but it's 160,000 votes that are non-party, which is really big number. And some of them are non-party, but partisan right. Some of them are non-party, but partisan left. Some of them are truly like, eh, whichever side looks like it's winning. Uh, but the biggest shift that happened here is in the votes of people over 65. You know, Hillary Clinton lost that population in our district by nine points. And Joe Biden is winning that population by eight points. That is a 17-point hmm. turnaround in four years. And you ask yourself, how the Sam Hill is that possible? Well, you know, there was some general antipathy towards Hillary. Yeah. But there was also some misogyny, some serious misogyny into that. And when COVID hit, the first place it hit was New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, right? And Donald Trump spent all his time demonizing New York, demonizing New Yorkers, turning his back on the needs of people in the eastern seaboard. And I think that is one place where seniors over 65 really got turned off. It's this idea that he was going to pit one state and against another state, and they were Trump states and non-Trump states, and they were going to... And I think that really rubbed them the wrong way. And then you add in his callous disregard for the well-being of people over 65, and then you add in cuts to Social Security and Medicare care and i'm like oh yo you just handing it to me on a platter let's go because i can make a case all day about that and we're seeing that have a significant effect all over florida but very especially here because we're you know the sixth the most senior district in the country and and, and just for folks who don't know, there's a big snowbird population that moves oh, to yeah. florida when they're seniors coming from the eastern seaport new york 
you know, Connecticut. Oh, yeah. And there's also like a, a, a little anti-Semitism thrown in there too, because sure. you know, but it depends New on Yorkers, right. what is that code for? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But there's a lot of anti-Semitism baked in everything that Donald Trump does and says, which is so weird given that, I mean, I don't know. It's Our district yeah. has a very, very beautiful, vibrant and diverse Jewish community. It runs the, the political gamut. And you don't know, think of Boca Raton, you think of uh, Papua Beach. These are very, very heavy Jewish communities, but they are not politically monolithic at all. Like you can have uber Trumper and like on the pro-Israel thing. And then you can have like this uber progressive liberal Jewish tradition too. And there's like everything in between. Um, but it just, it's just, it's just a very, it's just a very interesting diversity of of the Jewish diaspora, which is probably um, represented in this state better than just about anywhere except for maybe like New York. You know, it's just like really, really diverse, and it's and it's interesting. I find it fascinating. Um, you know, on that note, uh, there's also this this new law that was passed in Florida, um, giving felons the ability to to vote. Now they have to pay these fees. Do you have any sense of of how much it's going to impact this election? I mean. I, you're not, unfortunately, you're not hearing enough nationally about what's being done to, to fight this off. Well, see, what they did was, and the thing is, we knew they were going to do this. This is what bothers me the most, is that the night that that happened, the night that we won, because I worked so hard to get that thing passed, um, I called my friend and I said, look, we need to go to a court right now, today, tomorrow, and get a declaratory judgment that enjoins the GOP from encumbering this because you know they will and i was said no you're reacting we double check the language and triple check the language there's no way that they could encumber this we got it right you know, blah, blah. and i'm like guys you need to go to a court while we still have two democrats on the florida supreme court not democrats per se but appointed and you know that have been you know more middle in their rulings because we knew that they were going to be coming off of the court and that desantis was going to be appointing doctrinaire extreme right-wing justices so i was telling them guys now now go now and you know they just they couldn't figure out the vehicle to get in front of something before there's something to sue about right and i was like you can still go and ask for a declaratory judgment the, the court can just tell you no but then you're tying up the resources of the state right of the legislature it's like offense being your best defense if you will and and they didn't and so of course that next the beginning of that next session boom oh you need to pay fees and fines that's one thing to say you have to pay a fine because when you are given a fine i you know make 500 dollars restitution you now know you have to pay 500 dollars. but fees are these hidden costs to just the prosecutor the court reporter the bailiff you know things that are not typically assessed to you so the only way you know what your fees are is if you get a you know a bill an invoice for the right. fee you now that so the, so the way that they encumbered this was to create an administrative hurdle that just bogs down your process so that you can't find out what you owe let alone pay it off we've got all the money in the world to pay these fees what we don't have is the invoices of what the fees are so they can actually get paid unreal and it's unreal. just total i mean and the thing that drives me crazy is that every time dick and harry knows what the intent of the D gop is we know right. what they're they know that what they're doing. We know that they know it. We know what they're doing. And everybody seems to be okay with an entire political party taking on as its principal strategy voter suppression. That's literally, that's, that was in my opening. It was exactly that, is that it, you want to know what their only strategy right now is voter suppression. 
and and for the Democrats, it's it's campaign ads. <laughs> Those are the two strategies. Nothing in between. I mean, they have exhibited this for 40 years now, more than that. But but as a science, they have figured out how to use process, administration. Uh, I mean, they talk about their tax on bureaucracy. They understand bureaucracy more than anybody does and use it against working people in every way and form. Right. And it's the moral bankruptcy of it all. I mean, the reason we had such a debacle with our unemployment benefit system in Florida, which, by the way, is still extremely badly broken, is because they intended to be an administrative nightmare to dissuade people from actually accessing their benefits. Because if it becomes frustrating enough, you just say, screw it, I'll go do something else. And they think that this will encourage you to go get a job because they think that all joblessness is, you know, self self-inflicted or a sign of, of laziness. And so in order to create a disincentive, they just made it so hard to access those benefits that you can't get them at all. So you now you're, but of course they wouldn't, you know, come out and say that. Of course not. Of course right? not. But it's, that's, that is the, the moral bankruptcy of that way of thinking generally. And I, and I just so, so before we wrap up, we have a couple more minutes. Um, you are running against a Republican on, on the spectrum of, oh, excuse me, two Republicans. Okay, explain that in a second. Um, but, but the incumbent, of course, is, is a Republican. On the spectrum of Republicans, I mean, these red to blue districts right now, I've been in several of them in the last few months and have watched the ads. And I'm, I'm really surprised by how, at least in rhetoric, maybe not affiliation to Trump, but in rhetoric, um, how aligned a lot of these, like, these Republicans are with the the most extremist elements of the Republican Party in a way that I really haven't seen that happen in these swing districts before. Usually you get a more centrist kind of message to appeal to everybody. What's happening in your district? It's not so much what's happening in my district. It's what's happening within the Republican Party. The Republican Party no longer exists. There's just the Trump Party. And everything is measured by the degree to which you are loyal to Trump. So if you want to have any kind of viability in this party, you have to be constantly asserting your fidelity to Donald Trump. Right. Because that's the only thing they will not tolerate is disloyalty to Trump. They will tolerate any other kind of transgression but that one. The problem is that there are a whole lot of Republicans who don't feel loyal to Trump, don't want to be loyal to Trump, and want to see their old school Republican worldview reflected in their elected officials. And so they also try to sound like their center and their old school Republican and their, you know, the comfort of the New Jersey Republican, you know, like they're, they're trying to be Steve King and Steve King at the same time, right? <laughs> um, if you know what I mean by that reference, and I think you do. Um, so I, but the incumbent here um, also has this challenge that there's a third person on our ballot because in Florida we have closed primaries. Mm. So non-party candidates go automatically to the November ballot. So we actually have a non-party and we have the incumbent. Now, it's not that the guy that's non-party is truly non-party. He's a Republican. But he's one of these um, letter dot, 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 you know what I mean, letter of the alphabet with the, mm -hmm. Uh, he's one of these extreme conspiracy theorists. And yes, so big one, the big one, guys, we have to be careful what we say now. because We're not going to say it, but that that group that shall not be named that is completely off the horizon of rationality. um, He's one of those people and he's a super, super second amendment. And the thing that's the issue 
between them is that for about 15 seconds, my opponent pretended like he cared about, he supported an assault rifle stand. And for them, that is such an, a, a disloyalty and such a betrayal of their movement um, that he got primaried a last cycle by two guys, but they were stupid because they ran as Republicans and they got, you know, they, they got eaten up by the machine, but they came up between them with 15,000 votes. This guy was like, why would I try to fight you in a primary? I'll just go to the general election ballot. And if he pulls another 15,000 votes, it's over for this guy. I was so, going to say, are they just splitting the ticket or is there some sort of secret yeah, madness I'm not getting? The ballot says, you know, uh, the incumbent, me, and the, the other guy. So there's yeah, two names on the ballot there. And, and you know, it's just one of these things where you're like, you know, there's absolutely zero chance that anybody would consider me would consider that third guy. So he's only pulling from the right. Like that, I know. Um, but it's an interesting dynamic because everybody's starting to feel like the incumbent is a phony. We mm. feel like he's a phony from the left, but they're also starting to feel like he's a phony from the right. And that, mm. that starts to destabilize quite a bit. And, um, just the general mood of just sick with Trump and Trumpism and the constant chaos and the constant lies and the constant disconnection from reality and the divisiveness, they're just sick of it. And I think people who are sick of it are like, we're voting all the thumbs out. Y'all going. So I think there's a really, really good, strong possibility of winning this thing. From your, your mouth to you the universe's ears and back. Uh, Corey Bush, of course, has endorsed you. This is great, a great sign. I trust her judgment on pretty much everything. So, uh, you know, this is, this is a, a definitely a race that you have to be watching. In, in an area of the country, just in general, we're probably going to be watching, on, as we do every, <laughs> every year since 2000. I just want to add one thing real quick. Sure. I don't know if we have time, but one of the quirks of this particular seat is that if it flips from red to blue, it literally changes control of the delegation. And it's the congressional delegation that elects the electors, right? So you know how they had that whole lawsuit about uh, faithless electors? Yes. It's about sending people up there who would vote in contract, contrary to what the actual election result is in your state. And the Republicans are thinking that they can do some things to try to keep Trump in power with these faithless electors. And if, and if my seat goes blue, that just puts the kibosh on that altogether. Amazing. Pam Keith, I'm I'm so inspired that you've continued to run and that you didn't listen to the to the naysayers saying that, no, 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 you should run for this other thing, um, that you could use your experience in life, because I do think it really does. Uh, like your personal experiences are, are, are valuable on these races in particular. And I cannot wait to see you in Congress and to hear your voice in Congress and to see your fight in Congress and your empathy in Congress. So check out Pam Keith. Uh, we'll put her, her website uh, down in the, in the information section on YouTube uh, and we'll tweet you out as well. But thank you and, and good luck in the next 26 days. Hopefully they'll decide it on election night and you could just go on vacation for a little bit. Well, if my district flips, Florida will in fact go blue. It is the tie-breaking district of Florida. So if you got somewhere, if you got a couple extra bucks, send them our way. I'm a big fan of grassroots fundraising, and I'm very proud that even our local newspapers admitted that my fundraising reflects these values. That I don't, that I'm not taking money from like, you know, yeah, oil and gas and all this. Mm, yeah. Uh, so uh, thanks. For Thank you, Pam. Pam. <laughs> all right. Hope to see you soon after you're elected. Have a good one. Thank you so much. You too. Take care. All right, guys, uh, make sure to smash that like button and click subscribe if you haven't already. We will be back in one second with our panel, Josh Fox and Representative Chris Rapp. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. I am 
already loving this panel. I'm looking at these smiling faces. We're going to talk about another swing state, Pennsylvania, which Representative Chris Rabb, of course, is representing the 200th district of Pennsylvania. Well, I'll say the most progressive uh, representative. Can I say that? I think I can say that. Uh, in He's like, yeah, of course, in Pennsylvania. <laughs> uh, and of course, Josh Fox, who resides in Pennsylvania, is, I believe, in Pennsylvania right now. Yes, I am. And has worked in Pennsylvania. Uh, so, Rep. Rab, you're on mute right now, but... Um, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about the debate last night. Uh, what hasn't been said already, but m- most specifically, around an issue that um, infuriates Josh Fox <laughs> for sure. His life mission uh, for the last you know decade and a half or more has been around um, banning fracking, and fracking, of course, is a key issue in Pennsylvania. So uh, I just I just want to start off with with Rep. Rab, Kamala Harris. We do we have the clip? Actually, let's play the clip real quick. So, of course, Kamala Harris on stage last night uh, was just decided to say it over and over and over again and then tweet about it. And then, I don't know, there's probably me a T-shirt with it on there and they're going to sell like <laughs> bumper stickers now. It's like because everything that they repeat turns into some gimmick and some like campaign uh, fundraising tool. All right, let's play that clip. Please. OK. Joe Biden will not raise taxes on anyone who makes. Just kidding. What happened? Don't play it. Don't play it. it. We know what's in it. Ah, (laughs) Don't don't give it. I'm kidding. That was the clip. That's the right clip. She's about to say Joe Biden will not be fracking. Yeah, he starts with the taxes. Right. Anyways, she said over and over. We all saw it, okay? <laughs> that she that Joe Biden will not ban fracking, and of course Pence tried to paint her as somebody who is against fracking. Like, how dare you, you radical? So, so Rep. Rab, um, man, is this is this what Pennsylvania wants? Is this was this all about like a ploy to swing Pennsylvania voters? It is such a misfire, and I, I got to tell you, I'm um, I'm on my government iPhone, so I can't talk about campaigns or candidates, but I can talk about fracking. Uh, we are the second largest producer uh, of fracked gas. It's not natural gas. It's very unnatural. It's fracked gas. Um, we're the second largest producer in the, in the country, and it doesn't create a lot of jobs for Pennsylvanians. It creates jobs for people outside of Pennsylvania. It creates a lot of jobs that are non-union jobs. It creates a lot of jobs um, that are not good for the workers themselves or where they seek to frack. Um, I visited Susquehanna County, and I know, Josh, you, you are the longstanding expert on this, but as someone who represents an, incre- an aggressively crunchy blue dot in Pennsylvania, I had to get out of my blue bubble and visit the people who are uh, experiencing rare cancers, Ray Kimball, uh, uh, Craig Stevens, um, other folks who've been, who are actually conservative Republicans who oppose fracking conservative Republicans. They came to visit me in Harrisburg two weeks ago. Uh, they look like they're right out of ZZ Top. And they they talk about all the folks um, on the left who are doing really important work around saving our environment. And so this it's a misfire when any candidate talks about saving fracking like it's saving jobs, helping local communities. It does the exact opposite. It's absurd. It's so easy for anyone to pivot and say, this is, we don't even have to ban fracking because fracking will ban itself as 
doing that poorly. Wall Street is going to bail from it, and I'm no fan of Wall Street, but Wall mm -hmm. Street's walking away from it. Um, as soon as we have um, utility-scale battery storage that comes close to the cost of fracking, fracking is dead. So fracking is going to die on its own. I would love to kick it into the grave myself through legislation, but if, I, if I'm not able to, fracking is um, like the fax machine or uh, Blu-ray, or let's think of some other things. Help me out, Josh. But it's not long for this world, um, both from an economically sustainable standpoint, um, more and more people care, um, mm -hmm. like Josh, the work he's been doing, care about our environment and say it's not worth it. And we also have renewable energy that when we have the right people um, in the administration, they will provide incentives and subsidies the way they're providing it for dirty fuel for generations. And once that happens, we won't be having this conversation again because it'll be a thing of the past. We're not talking about Blu-ray. We're also not talking about marriage equality more because it's the law of the land, right? And so once people realize it's dead, we're moving on. And that's what's going to happen with regard to renewable energy. But it, to hear folks that we're not going to ban fracking as though that's a bad thing is really disheartening because it's just bad policy. And there's so many powerful ways that anyone who knows the basics of environmental and energy policy could have pivoted to, to, to make some really good points that the majority of Americans would embrace. Yeah, that's right. So, that, yep. that's, so that, that's an interesting point. And I, and I, I want to ask you about this, Josh, because we had a little we were debating last night um, over text message. Actually, we're on a chat and like we totally dominate the chat and just nobody was after like three, was... three sentences. People were like, I'm out of here. Out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I have this theory. OK, I'll let, let me let me float it and then I'd love to hear. So what this was a misstep. Um, it seemed to be a misstep. And I think part of that is because you have Kamala Harris, who really hasn't done um, environmental work. I mean, she's from California. She, you'd think that with California on fire, she wouldn't have a, a, a deeper understanding of the human impact of fracking. And that is also indicative of, of and, you know, yes, I get that they have a plan, Josh. We'll talk about that in a second. But like, it, it just shows that they're, they're not connected to the roots around these issues. And that like, you know, Josh always say the Green Tea Party members, right? That they're not really, they're not feeling what's actually happening. Yeah. And as a result, you know, what really kind of blew me apart was they don't even really need to say that to win any voters in Pennsylvania. It was like a consultant said that to them and said, do this. Absolutely. You guys yeah. are winning by, what, what are you talking about? Just talk about the That's economy. That's it. Just talk about the economy. Go. I, I think you're right that the culprit is cons political consultants who, who make money by not paying attention to the people. Um, and the people in Pennsylvania don't want fracking. The majority of people in Pennsylvanians, 52 to 48, the last poll, are not in favor of fracking. They're in favor of curtailing fracking or banning it outright. And the vast majority of Democrats, right? So um, let me just say that I've been talking about fracking for as long as Bernie Sanders has been talking about socialism. <laughs> that's a that's a joke, but it's almost like, as long. I've been talking about fracking since 2008, when I first yeah. broke the story on in in my film Gasland, which premiered in 2010 at the Sundance Film Festival. So for Bernie Sanders to go out and campaign for Joe Biden when Joe Biden is saying, "I beat the socialist, I beat the socialist," is kind of like what I feel right now, to having to go out and campaign for for Biden and Harris when they're saying they're not going to ban fracking. So I'm going to do something that's very odd on a political talk show. 
Uh, first of all, let me just say it's a real honor to be on with Nomiki and with Rep. Rab. Thank you so much for all of your great work in PA. We've got to make sure that PA comes back uh, into the blue fold this time around. But what I'm going to say is this. On a political talk show, I'm going to actually tell you the truth, um, <laughs> which is... Uh, this is the uh, one, nuanced, if you're going to do gonna it. Nuanced, <laughs> this is going to be a nuanced uh, uh, truth-telling, so please just stay with me here, okay? The bottom line actually is that the plan that they put forward, Biden and Harris, does actually ban fracking. It puts fracking to bed. It gets rid of fracking. Now, the top experts in the country on this, and I count myself as one of them, but I'm not, certainly not the only one of them, will tell you that America, because of Barack Obama, mind you, got so in bed with the fracking industry that our energy infrastructure is so dependent on fracking that it's going to take six to eight years to get us off of the fracking uh, dependency that we're in. So even if we came out tomorrow, like Bernie Sanders, and said, we're banning fracking, the process would still be a transition. We know that. Any intelligent person will tell you that. Now, so their plan actually does that. It says we're not going to have any new electricity generation in, from, from fossil fuels in 15 years, which means that the, frac the new fracking power plants that are being proposed, gone. Fracking pipelines, gone. All that stuff which by the way is happening a lot in PA, right? 35 miles as the crow flies from where I'm sitting here in Wayne County, right next door to Susquehanna County. You're talking about six new frack gas power plants that are being proposed and some of them are operational now, creating massive air pollution. This is a huge problem. And as we know, fracking just contaminates water and contaminates the air, it promotes health problems and it does create jobs. Those jobs are oncologists, those jobs are people who test your water for carcinogens. Those jobs are, are people who are, are asthma specialists. Those are the jobs that fracking creates, right? Those jobs are the people to, to, to take care of the sick workers like Randy Moyers, who has radioactive poisoning because he's dealing with radioactive fluids. There is no way to make fracking safe. There's no way to justify fracking. Now, what is actually happening here is, as Nomi said, some political consultant whispered in there and said, well, people in Pennsylvania like fracking. And... Any perceived extreme Wait, hey, position. Hang on, what, can I just stop for a second? That political consultant probably also represents the, the fracking industry. industry. For sure, for sure. For sure. Probably. Now, the problem is that, that this, let me just, I'm, an, I'm almost done, is that that's not true, okay? Um, but any perception of Harris and Biden at the moment of them taking a quote unquote extreme position, the Green New Deal, which of course is on their website and it's in the framework for their, their climate plan, but a $2 trillion climate plan, which I just spent an hour with several Jeff Goodell, right, uh, talking about how great the Biden climate plan is, which it is absolutely great. Um, now they're going to shy away from the public perception that anything that they're doing is quote unquote extreme. This is a political calculation, and it causes them to punch left, and it's maddening. It causes them to say things like, we don't, we're not going to ban fracking, or we don't support socialism, or blah, 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 blah. And it's, I'm frankly sick of it. It makes me nauseous. It makes me feel like I'm being punched in the stomach. But let me just tell you this. When in 2008, when nobody had ever heard of fracking, the fact that it's a litmus test and it's a huge issue in this campaign is amazing to me, an incredible progress of our movement. And it also goes to show you one other thing, that I have not gotten a call from CNN. I have not gotten a call from MSNBC. I've not gotten a call from Fox News. I've not gotten a call from anyone to talk about this. And I'm the person who broke the story on this and the leading expert on fracking worldwide and internationally. And the reason why is because the media is also in the pocket 
of the oil and gas industry. And those people, and the, and the political consultants, and those people don't want the actual truth out. They don't want me to come out and say, well, Kamala Harris is actually not really being truthful at that moment. <laughs> because then the Republicans will pick that up and run with it and say, Kamala Harris is lying. Right. Well, I mean, and it's so it's a trap without a difference. Exactly. It's a distinction without a difference because you don't have to ban fracking, like Josh said. If you just say no more new stuff, right? We're well, not, we're, we're not moving it forward. I think right. that language is empowering. Their political calculations are saying that they're going to win over more undecided votes yeah. by saying the middle ground position, then they are going to benefit from enthusiasm on the progressive side going for them because we're already doing yeah. that, right? Let's just say all the progressives are all going Biden, 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 and they've got us locked up, and that's the truth. So they're trying but to get votes in another place, they, they whether are, that's sincere or not. But it's it's not, I mean, I think what's frustrating for folks who've done real on-the-ground coalition building organizing, like, I mean, both of you have just talked about that. I mean, we've yeah. all done work and found common ground with actual Republicans on issues that, you know, the, the, the consultants probably either they do know and they just have their own interests in mind or they're just so freaking out of, out of touch that they have no sense of like what the actual undecided centrists care about, which is usually like taxes. I mean, it's just that's kind of what it comes down to. That's literally it. It's just like, I don't want to pay more taxes. That's it. That's it. It could have been <laughs> fracking. It could have been football. Who cares? Mike Pence would have come out and said, you're lying. And Kamala Harris would have said, no, I'm not lying. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Right? It was that kind of situation. Easily. And, and I think a politician like a Bernie Sanders would have right. come out and, and been much more deft at, at just saying, look, we've got to fight climate change. We've got to protect our environment. We've got to do all of these things. Um, we don't we, 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 we are for protecting the American people and just not gotten baited right. into saying we're not going to ban fracking and tweeted it and all this kind of nonsense that's happening. But that's part of the tone deafness that we've been battling with these centrists and moderates forever. Right. So, so real quick, guys, um, I, I have one more question before we wrap up the show. But uh, do, you, do you guys have time to stick around for a little bit extra for our patrons? I can do a tiny bit more. I have, tiny I'm, bit. I'm trying to submit my new film to Sundance, so I'm oh, like, forget that, Josh. Right. You gotta stay on the show I, for five I, more minutes. Like, I can do a tiny bit, but I, I don't want to dominate the conversation. I've already. I don't know. It's all good. It's all good. Um, okay, I, what, what, just one quick question. Uh, I I would love to ask Rep. Rab is as much as you can, because again, you know, just so folks know, when you're using a government phone, you have to stay out of the politics side. But yeah. lobbying um, happens uh, a lot. <laughs> and you have crazy laws in Pennsylvania where lobbyists can just like buy a lawmaker a Tesla, as you've said many times. How significant is the fracking natural gas lobby in Pennsylvania? Um, like it's extraordinary it mm. there are we are the largest full-time state legislature in the country there are 253 of us there are more lobbyists that represent oil and gas than all the members of the pennsylvania general assembly they are everywhere they give a lot of money and they don't care what your party affiliation is right. okay right. they right. give money out um and there are no a campaign contribution caps in Pennsylvania. I've said this every time I've been on your show. You could give me a billion dollars and it's legit um, to my campaign. As long as it's not a corporate check, as long as you're a citizen, you can give me as much money as you want for as long as you want. If you were a lobbyist, you could give me cash. It's the Wild West in Pennsylvania. It's crazy. Now, the point about fracking and frack gas and so forth is this is not a partisan issue because there are plenty of Democrats who either 
believe that fracking is a bridge energy source, which is a, it's a burning bridge, um, or <laughs> they don't care because they get money from, from lobbyists, right? Mm. And so they're cynical. I have one of the most popular bills in the legislature. It's the 100% renewable energy bill that gets us to 100% renewable energy by 2050. I believe we can do it before that. But I have people, Democrats, who are on my bill, co-sponsors, who support fracking. Because the, how extraordinary, this is a shout out to all the young folk who care very much about environmental justice. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of them. So they said, well, let me get on Rep. Rab's bill. So then I'll look cool and I'll look green. It's kind of like what Kamala did, right? She yeah. got on, on the Green New Deal and, she and Medicare also for All. She said then- she, was gonna ban, she was out for a ban on fracking. Now, when she said it, there was a hint that I, look, members of Congress, as Rush Holt once said to me, the only member of Congress that won Jeopardy, Rush Holt once said to me, members of Congress are not experts. We don't actually know a lot. I mean, and think about all of the incredible knowledge that it takes to amass like 10 years of understanding renewable energy or fracking or the wind industry. Oh, and by the way, I'm speaking on the telephone that the wind industry gave me in the lavish TV studio that the wind industry furnished for me. And outside is parked my Lamborghini that was given to me by Elon. I'm kidding, of course. The idea (laughs) is that that like, uh, that that, that people, they, they don't always know what, they're talking about right so when they're talking about fracking if Kamala Harris is from California it's a it's a hot button issue in California but the Californians keep seem to keep fracking right these are very intricate and very complicated things to negotiate your way out of you're talking about the entire underpinning of our civilization right this phone right now whether I want it to or not because I'm in PA is being powered by a frack gas power plant 35 miles from here and that's a terrible situation it harms the people in those communities but it's my electric vehicle right here. Yeah, it puts us in a dependent situation, right? The problem is that it takes a while to untangle that. We have to be sincere about how complicated that entanglement is. American television and the average American voter IQ on these issues does not account for a lot of nuance. It just yeah. doesn't. They're, so, they, they, it, you know, that's the problem. That's the real, we have to, and we are trying to expand that nuance by speaking about these things honestly on programs hold, like yes. Hold that, hold that thought. Um, for those of you who do want more nuance, I have some um, really big questions. I think these are important questions and we'll have, um, Chris will be, up, or Rep. Rab will be back on next week. Uh, Josh, we'll talk about the, this a little bit more, hopefully, on a one-on-one. I love we'll talking a, to you. I can't. Whole conversation about this. But if you want to hear more of this, we're going to talk about what the geopolitical the show's running. And I'm I'm just so proud of what, what the conversations we're having right now. So we're going to wrap it up. Special thanks to uh, uh, Bob and Billy, the mods, of course, and everybody in the live chat and our new live chat moderator, moderator choking on Ashes 6. What a name. And uh, they said that they need a nickname for me. I, I have a lot of nicknames. I don't like anyone, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We will see you tomorrow, same time, same place uh, for Fem Fridays. And for patrons, we'll see you in a few seconds. Thank you.